Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the John McLean to my, oh gosh, Jack Travin. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? Uh, I am, I'm on a timer. Uh, I am watching it tick up, which I'm very not used to, but I guess that means that I'm still ending up with less time left to get the next thing done. And our very own John Matrix. That's right. I just did, uh, <laughs> uh action stars named Jack or John right here. Uh, <laughs> Eric Ronnebeck, Eric, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm building a house I'm building a cabin. I'm having ice cream with my daughter, uh, hit me in the nose with it. Just so you know, I'm a likable character. God, I freaking love Commando. All right, so, so uh, that's a that's a some that's a, that's a someday that's a someday movie club movie right there. Okay, so um, we uh, we had a big week on uh, in the for the Seahawks this week. Lots of uh, action today with the NFL top 100 was the big news. Okay, Russell Wilson, he our boy, our our the favored son of the Seattle Seahawks comes in number two overall. Okay, and do you know what? Do you want me to tell you the number one reason why Russ came in number two? It has nothing to do with his performance on the football field. Okay. Russell Wilson went from number 10 in the hearts or whatever he was before number eight. Like he went from a lower number in the hearts of the players to number two. When he started posting all his thirsty tweets about Ciara all the time and all the other (laughs) NFL players are like, dang, that guy's, that guy's getting it with Ciara. Like, wow, that's so cool. Uh, He's He's not not, as nerdy as we think. He's not as big of a cornball as I originally thought. So I'm going to put him really high on my list. Also, he's just really good at football. Let's be Calvin honest. Calvin got a job. Good for Calvin. So, so Russell Wilson, number two overall. Uh, were you guys surprised by that rank at all? I was a little bit. I didn't I didn't think we had that much love. And uh, I think people still kind of, uh, just because of our offense, view him as a running quarterback or a quarterback that could be great, but we, we just don't know. And uh, so it was a nice surprise. Yeah, I feel like there's they always find a reason to kind of knock him down a peg. Um, even though last season he had an MVP type season, I expected him to come in like, you know, right around like fifth, seventh, something like that. Yeah, I expected him to come second, uh, but I did not expect him to come second to Lamar Jackson. I expected him to come second to uh, to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> uh, a little bit surprising in terms of just uh, the who he came second to, but I'm okay with it, to be honest with you. Uh, I think Lamar Jackson had an incredible record-breaking season last year. They're voting at the Pro Bowl based on what they saw up until that point. And I mean, uh, actually, they're voting before the Pro Bowl. So they I don't even think Lamar Jackson had lost to the Titans yet at this point. And I think that that really took kind of the shine off the end of his season. Um, so yeah, I just think that it's fine. It is what it is. Like, I think that that's, I get what, why it happened. It's not my uh, personal choice. I would, uh, I would do something. I mean, obviously I would, if I was going to put, make this list, I would put Russ one and, and one a and Patrick was one B. I don't think that there's a huge gap between them. It's the thing. The only thing is, is that I think what a lot of NFL players think Patrick Mahomes gets to play with Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, an often awesome offensive line, and Andy Reid. And Russell Wilson has like everything working against him. Bad offensive line, stupid run first, Pete Carroll. Uh, not as good wide receivers until like lately. Although I think the wide receivers have been underratedly good. Like Doug is good, Tyler's good, DK's good. Like we've had good wide receivers, but they they don't get the hype like Tyreek Hill does. And then just lesser ta- surrounding talent. And and he's still 
achieves at the highest level. So maybe that's why the players kind of put him over Mahomes. I kind of get that argument actually. Um, so yeah, there you go. That's my take on NFL 100, Russell Wilson, number two. Yeah. I think the thing is Lamar Jackson gets the nod because of the highlight real play. I think that's why you saw DK get up there on the list is because DK has a few plays where you're just sitting there watching it going, well, nobody does that. And Lamar has like two of those a game. Yeah. And I mean, he did set records. Like I, I, I can't stress this enough. I mean, it does matter. Like you, you set the record for most rush yards, but, uh, by a person of his age, you set a record by most rush fats for any position and most rush yards by a quarterback. Like you just set these records and it's like, yeah, okay. It makes sense. You know, like it was an, it was an excellent, uh, um, kind of incredible season for Lamar Jackson. Right. Yeah. Uh, you can't really argue with the production on the field. He was a uh, first team all pro, led league in touch or led the league in touchdowns, right? Uh, yeah, he had the most rushing yards yeah. in a season by a quarterback, most rushing attempts by a quarterback. He had two games with a perfect passer rating, like Kevin said, just two amazing games. Uh, that's pretty pretty awesome too. So yeah, I think it he was clearly like the best player last year. And if if we're not gonna take the whole holistic like playoff loss slash uh, career arc view, then I think it's fair to put him first. Uh, Russell Wilson went, for, yeah, he was. Up, up 23 spots. So, I mean, that's the Ciara effect for sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think uh, of it that way, and I guess it makes sense. I thought for sure he'd be third, but that does make sense. Here's uh, the thing. Bob, Wasn't Gurley like 51st and Jimmy this, G made the top this, 50? This list is kind of garbage. I don't let's, so, we, don't get me started. There's so many <laughs> There's so many guys on here. It's like, why? Why is he so high or why is he so low? Jimmy Garoppolo is 43rd. I yep, mean, that's bad. That's... that's I wait, wait, okay. 43rd, 43rd ranked quarterback. If you think Jimmy Garoppolo is better than Dak Prescott, then come argue with me about it. Cause that is not the case. If you think he's better than Kirk cousins, come argue with me about it. Cause that's not the case. If you think he's better than Ryan Tannehill, maybe you're right. I don't know. Ryan Tannehill shouldn't have been 68th either. Okay. So, so uh, Bobby Wagner came in thir- lucky number 13 up two spots from last year from 15. He was the highest rated linebacker on the list. No argument this year as Luke Keekley has left the national football league. Uh, he even ranked higher than Khalil Mack. Coming off the um, kind of a down year for Bobby, he still gets the respect from the league. Uh, what what what's the what's what do you guys expect from Bobby Wagner this year, uh, Eric? What do you what do you expect from him? Uh, I expected Bobby Wagner to have a good year last year. I felt like uh, I don't know he had a he had an off year for various reasons this year. Supposedly Jamal Adams, they're calling it a uh, a cheat code. It's going to open up Bobby Wagner for even more amazingness uh bobby wagner will hopefully have a healthy year um i think last year he got stuck kind of overcompensating for what was around him i think our our newest or uh, earliest rookie will will have a, a good impact on him uh, despite you know probably not paying playing all the time i'm expecting a big year from bobby yeah uh Ke- kevin uh, eric brought up how uh jamal adams might unlock jamal adams came in 27th on this list the highest rated safety to go with our highest rated linebacker do you agree that jamal adams could be opening up the defense for bobby wagner and getting him back to the uh like tippy top of uh, uh, production like we expect not i mean obviously he's respected for a reason he is really rock solid in the middle of the field but last year it felt like maybe he was a little mi- misused or just wasn't used to his uh, best role like he usually gets to. Do you think that that gets fixed this year with Jamal working with him? Yeah, I think what you'll see is last year he filled the buckets the way he normally does. He had about the same number of run stops and sacks and tackles and everything he normally does. But the issue was the efficiency. And 
when you look at those metrics, what that really is telling you is that he was spread too thin. Mm -hmm. He was being asked to do everything on a defense that was shorthanded. And so when you add an extra elite player on the back end who can make it so, you know, he's so Bobby's doing more shallow and maybe a little intermediate zone. And when he's doing run fits, he knows he has somebody that he can rely on to kind of fill the other gap. It makes it so that, you know, the co- I would expect his coverage to improve. I expect those stats to improve because he won't be asked to do quite as much. And I think along with that, you'll probably see his run defense and his tackling get right back to the elite level that we're accustomed to. Because, again, he can kind of focus more on doing his job as opposed to trying to do, you know, two or three players worth of work. Yeah, Bobby Wagner was asked to do way too much last year. I completely agree with that take, Kevin. And the, the thing is, is that Adams comes in and he's going to play underneath with Bobby a lot right? He's going to play in the slot or he's going to play underneath and they're going to play cover three buzz with, with uh, Jamal Adams as a robber and Bobby Wagner patrolling those short, those short zones. And that's just a, ter- that is a terrifying proposition for the opposing team because both those guys can cover uh, any of the line, anybody coming out of the backfield, they can both come knife in and destroy you on a blitz. They can, I mean, those guys are just so much for a de- uh, an offense to worry about in the front, in the, in the short side of the field like that. And I, I think I'm really excited to see how those guys two, two guys work together, especially if we do end up playing a lot of cover three, like we did uh, back when we were at the tippy top. I mean, people say like, you know, you'll listen to guys around the league and they'll say like, that's a, that's a high school defense or that's a college defense. Cause it's so simple, right? Cover three is just a simple defense. And if you run, you know, uh, like a, like a concept with a, with two guys running outs, it's really easy to, to break it if the other team is not perfect. But this, we might have the personnel to, on the back end to defend it perfectly again, which will give our, you know, our somewhat <laughs> disappointing uh, defensive line guys some time to get home. Yeah, I also feel like that's kind of a, I, I feel like it's one of those critiques that's almost worthless because it's kind of like the critique. You could say the same thing about Shanahan's run game. His run game is super basic. It's like three runs packaged a few different ways. But the reason why it works is because the execution is so good. And the other part of it is you don't know which of the runs that it is. So it's it's like a pitcher who doesn't have great stuff, but they look exactly the same coming off his hand every single time. So each one of those pitches is a little more dangerous. If uh, If Pete's able to run his version of the cover one, cover three defense that he likes to run, then it can look like any version of the man or zone variance all the way up until the point where the first thing happens. Yeah. So you don't get as, so- as solid of a read on the defense. And Adam's flexibility allows you to do that. Not to mention, like, there's some more pre-snap motion o- options that you have with him and Diggs in the back end. People talk about positionless football. And if you're talking about positionless football, Jamal Adams should be like the first guy you talk about. Um it, he just can do so many things on a football field and he's he's a really difficult read for the opposing team right like the opposing team has to has to deal with him and it's just that's just too much you know so okay let's uh let's get into it um that's basically the only Seahawks news from from this week in my opinion oh chance warmack took uh took the uh the covid out um, and let me tell you guys something about Chance Warmack <laughs> taking the COVID out, okay? I, I had a conspiracy, Nathan, for last week. Uh, I was kind of talked out of it by a very smart post in the Discord. 
So good job, Keith. Uh, but Conspiracy Nathan is here this week. You can't talk me out of this one. Chance Warmack only took the COVID out because he was getting cut anyway, and he wanted to guarantee himself $150,000. You cannot convince me that that is what not what happened. I guarantee you that's the thought process. He thought, man, I am going to get cut and get no money, but I can just sit at home now and get $150,000. I will do that. Good luck convincing me otherwise, because that is exactly what happened. Um, do you guys agree with that? Is Conspiracy Nathan onto something? I can't I say think... you're wrong about it. <laughs> so I think you have a really good piece of evidence in your favor. And that is the NFL's actively negotiating to move up the deadline because they felt like too many players were doing exactly that or using the threat of doing that in order to push a holdout. So I I would say that there is evidence in your favor players are doing that and he seems as likely as any to be. I mean, it's you'd think that they would have thought this through beforehand, but again, it's the NFL and they they're they're always late to the party with their with their big decisions. Hey, did you know that they also uh, did the the extra 10, 101 to 110? Oh, yeah. it, had, it had a couple of the players that I thought were the biggest misses of the whole thing. Uh, Justin Simmons and Demarcus Lawrence. I was I was pretty uh, like, come on, you can't not have those guys in this. And they were both in the back, the 108. They're 108 and 109. But they also had Marquise Pouncey in it. So that, that's garbage pick. So, you know, little <laughs> strikes, strikes and gutters, you know, uh, for the, uh, for the uh, NFL there on the uh, – 101 to 110 the old mixed bag yeah so okay that's enough about nfl 100 it's stupid uh but fun to talk about <laughs> that's just like this podcast okay oh, let's see we also cut emmanuel ellerby which is just another person making you know between five hundred thousand and a million that we've cut from the roster um, yeah okay so let's get into it this week is the nfc west uh or as i like to call it the nfc best because this is the best division in the football this year this is going to be a bloodbath um it sucks from a like i want the seahawks to dominate and get the number one seed perspective but it is going to make for some fantastic football all year long i'm really excited so let's get it started arizona cardinals last year went 5 10 and 1 they added deandre hopkins devondre campbell devon Kennard, cassius marsh they lost david johnson Farrell cooper zach kerr and rodney gunter they drafted isaiah simmons josh jones lecky fotu and the seahawks connection their backup quarterback this year will be seahawks former backup quarterback brett hundley kevin how do you feel about arizona this year um, I think Arizona is going to be really interesting. They're going to go as far as their quarterback takes them. If Kyler Williams takes a step forward, they Kyler have, Williams or Kyler Murray. Sorry, there you go. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got I got a Kyle Williams going in there, and I'm not really sure what happened. Max Williams, because um, you love you love their uh, how good he he's the best run blocking tight end in the entire National Football League. That must be it. Uh, so if Kyler Murray takes a step forward, then I think there's a good chance with all the offensive weapons. DeAndre Hopkins is one of those guys who he allows Larry Fitzgerald to pop back into the slot. He allows uh, Christian Kirk to work on being more of a deep threat. Um, th- uh, he allows Andy Isabella to work in more as a deep threat. Um, they picked up some good depth pieces at tackle. Kelvin Beecham and Josh Jones to push Marcus Gilbert and the much too large of a deal, DJ Humphreys. So I, I think their offense is really interesting. Their defense- Kelvin Beecham signing is like low-key, sneaky good, Kevin. Uh, you're on to yep. that because DJ Humphreys has been kind of disappointing year after year. And Kelvin Beecham's not great, but he's solid. And if if Humphreys just does it isn't the guy, you just Beecham is the perfect guy to just come in and like give you just some some seven out of ten 
C C average left tackle play, right? Yep. So it's like a great Or like setting. if Marcus Gilbert gets hurt again and Josh Jones isn't ready, then he just comes in, steps in at right tackle and just gives you that like C average right tackle play, which is yeah. which is fine. Yep. Um I think Jordan Phillips is a nice pickup at nose tackle, but again, their defense like I'm not convinced that their secondary is going to be good. I have a lot of questions at linebacker outside of Chandler Jones as a pass rusher. Um, so it, I'm insane about Isaiah Simmons, bro. Like, yeah, you know, I, know that, you so. I, think, I think that in a literal <laughs> sense. Um, so I love Isaiah Simmons. And I, for me, he's the kind of defensive player that could come in in year one, like Derwin James did for the chargers and tearing this defense from a uh, right now, it's a, it's a, like a slightly below average defense, uh, good run defending, good pass rushing, bad coverage, bad tackling to like, uh, uh, instantly make it at least passable in the areas where it was bad and still good in the areas it was good. And so that, that kind of gives, makes me a little, uh, excited about this defense because Chandler Jones is, he's going to, no matter what happens, Chandler Jones gets sacks and, and gets sacks. It, I don't know what it is. He's, he doesn't, his sack conversion rate is insane like he always converts more pressures into sacks than like basically anyone in the nfl but at this point it's happened so consistently that i can't call it a fluke anymore yep it's just like a thing that happens (laughs) chandler jones somehow converts more of his pressures into sacks than basically anyone else Um, but he needs to because i don't know who else is going to provide any sacks it's the hassan reddick uh redemption art kevin i'm just kidding um (laughs) That was a good joke, though. I almost got it. Jonathan Bullard's not bad. Okay. The, and Zach Allen. I like Zach Allen as well as like a potential guy who could get several sacks. Yeah, I uh, liked the, him on home improvement. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, th- nice. But like I said, Isaiah Simmons, I, I'm, I think improves this defense a little bit. His offense looks good. Um, I'm I'm into to them as a team that could be so, like a surprise team. I was into them last year. You, you uh, people who listen to this podcast will know I was like, this is this team has like that, but then I was like, but this defense is terrible, so I'm like gonna talk myself out of it. And then I gave them a bad, uh, like a bad record. And then last year they were frisky, man. They were not like, they weren't like five and ten like the the um like the Jaguars were five and ten last year, right? Where it's just like Jaguars sucked, and it was they were not fun to watch. This was like a fun five and ten like frisky team that has a has a little bit of a juice in it. And I love the Kenyon Drake coming back on the franchise tag so we can just run him into the ground before we give Chase Edmonds <laughs> the offense next year. Uh that's like my favorite move ever. I love that. So um yeah and I'm into I'm into Arizona. Eric, are you gonna talk me out of it? Uh no, it's funny. Last year, uh yeah, I'll I'll give Nathan credit. He was he was way more into Arizona than anyone else and I don't think you were wrong about it. They had some interesting issues. David Johnson vanished without a trace on unsolved Mysteries season two coming out soon on Netflix. <laughs> um, this guy once the beloved running back of all fantasy players and people in the division. They were like, well, we got to watch out for this guy. They still have David Johnson. Poof vanish. Um, Kenny Drake's awesome. Deandre Hopkins. I still don't want to talk about this. Any, <laughs> any article you read, it's like the steal of the off season. The Seahawks it is, really always is. make these steals. We got Jadavian Clowney for a pack of cards, and they found out that there were two jokers, and it was missing like the nine of spades. We still got him. Uh, this is what the Cardinals did. I was, was the two jokers missing the um, the Jeremy Lane not passing his physical? Seriously, I'm just so there's I'm so mad about it. Still, uh, it's going to come down to Ky- Kyler Murray. I was uh, 
you guys know me, I don't really deep dive on the draft because I don't really see a point in it be- on this podcast. One, you guys do it nonstop. I can t- offer a different take if I don't do it. Plus, if a guy is a bust and you're super high on him, what good did it do? Kyler Murray is is uh, is a decent plus quarterback. Can he be a plus plus quarterback? If he is, that will spell doom for uh, our cakewalk of a season that I want. All right, uh, Ke- Ke- uh, Kevin, you're first, so you can take the record first. What do you got? Uh, I've got them uh, winning as many as they lose. Like I'm at eight and eight. I think it'd be somewhere in that seven to nine win range. I'm at nine and seven. Uh, and like, like I could see eight and eight. I could see that. I think they're going to be competing for that last playoff spot. They're in the mix with, uh, with a bunch of other teams, uh, Falcons, Eagles, uh, Vikings, bears, like for that last, that last seventh seed, that new seventh seed playoff spot. Yeah. If the Rams fall off enough for them to beat them twice, then I think they make that last playoff spot. Eric, I have, they made a very conservative nine and seven. I think that they could be a, a huge shock and make it to 10 wins. All right. The uh, Los Angeles Rams last year went nine and seven. They added Leonard Floyd, Ashawn Robinson, and Austin Blythe. They lost Brandon Cooks, Corey Littleton, Nickel Roby Coleman, Dante Fowler Jr., Todd Gurley the third. They drafted Van Jefferson, Cam Akers, and Terrell Burgess. Um, Eric, start us off. What do you think about the Rams? Last year, the Rams just disappeared, much like uh, David Johnson, like this team was supposed to be really good. Uh, this podcast called them as a team that was not going to do so well, and their window seemed to slam shut. Uh, Sean McVay, who looked like a genius, kind of became just this guy. So on this podcast, we have differing opinions of Jared Goff, and I don't mean like uh, each of us have a different opinion. It's just as a whole... We think he's uh, he's fine, but also not very good, which is the perfect cover for someone that is, uh, you know, who who doesn't really want to commit to anything. I don't think the Rams are committed to anything. I think the Rams are a team in perpetual transition because they were trying to get to that Super Bowl. Um, They could not win it. Their windows slammed shut. And now they still have a lot of money, uh, a lot of uh a lot, a lot of holes, I would say, uh, in order to get back to that level. Um, Brandon Cooks is gone. Uh, Gurley is gone. Gurley was uh, not, not great last year anyway. Uh, I have this team. I won't go into the record, but I'm not expecting big things from this team. This is uh, probably the the cellar dweller of the t- of the division. My thing is that the really good defenses that they, they had a three week stretch last year where they played the Steelers, the Bears, and the Ravens, and they scored 12, 17, and six points. And the, that was like the, the toughest stretch of defenses they faced the whole year. Mm-hmm. And they really blew it. And then at the end of the season, their offense climbed back, but they're playing teams that don't have good defenses Arizona, Seattle, Dallas. They played San Francisco and scored 31, but they gave up 34. This team was inconsistent last year just in terms of their production. They had to change their whole offense uh, towards the end of the year from running 11 personnel to 12 personnel more because they te- seemed like the league had kind of figured them out with that three game stretch. And, uh, it made their offense better, but their defense just didn't hold up. And I, that, that's the thing about this defense is I just, there's just not enough depth here for them to hold up. The top end talent is as good as any team in the league. Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers, Jalen Ramsey. That is three def- defensive players. You can really build a team around. They are really good, but they're paying Jared Goff way too much money to be the 30, 30th best quarterback in the league. It's wasting a ton of money mm-hmm. and it hurts them on the rest of their roster. They don't have any depth and they did not, draft guys who I think can be contributors this year. 
that's another problem is that like Terrell Burgess is going to have trouble overtaking and becoming a starting safety for this team. Van Jefferson is going to have trouble beating Josh Reynolds onto the field in the slot. Like I just don't understand their draft strategy. Cam Akers, you drafted Darrell Henderson last year in the third round. Now you're going to spend a back that up with a second round pick on another running back. Well, it's like, like they were trying to go for, for future depth. It, it seemed like they think that they're only like one little thing away. They drafted like a team who feels like, Oh, we're close. So we'll take a running back and a wide receiver. You're not, they're not close. They didn't, I don't think they understood their position. They needed to draft, draft like an offensive lineman and a D, you know, a, a linebacker. They needed to draft like guys who could come in and have an impact right away. And I just don't think they did it. And it's going to end up hurting this team. Uh, Kevin, what's your take on the Rams? Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. They, lost Dante Fowler and replaced him with Leonard Floyd. Like that that's not good. Uh they picked up Ashawn Robinson because what they definitely needed was a run stopping defensive tackle to go in the middle. Like they lost Corey Littleton and replaced him with nothing. Uh they lost uh Nickel Rolby Coleman and they drafted Terrell Burgess to take that spot probably because Nickel's one of his better roles. Um you know they lost Eric Weddle and so now they're gonna be relying on uh, kind of a youth movement in the back end. They have their defense reminds me kind of of our defense in 2017, where they still have the big pieces of what was a good defensive unit, but the pieces around them have shrunk to the point where they're having to do too much. And that that's kind of a prescription for like a middle of the league defense. And then you look at an offense that has no offensive line stability. Like they, they basically looked at the performance last year and went, let's run that back. Yeah. It was a bad offensive line. And then except for Whitworth and then they're just going to run it back. And Whitworth is now a million years old. So yeah, it's like, unless Whitworth is a vampire, I don't know why you trust that age. Yeah. So I, uh, did I say the Seahawks connection on this team? I think I forgot. You did. Dude, you did. Chai polite is on the Rams. <laughs> remember, remember how he was on the Seahawks for a couple of weeks? Yes. Uh, yeah. what, a, what a screw up. Okay. Um, uh, so then like they're expecting what Joseph Noteboom, David Edwards and Bobby Evans to take a step forward. Like that's not guaranteed at all. Their defense, their defense is worrying for sure. It's like the big names are good, but the other guys are just like, Oh no. And then their offense, if they can't block, you know, Jared Goff can only remember what his coach told him was the pre-snap read for so long. Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, it's just going to be interesting to see how they react. I'm I'm guessing it'll be a lot of two tight end sets, Higby and Everett, uh, with Cup and Woods on the uh, on the outside, not a lot of slot receiver. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting season for the Rams. I, an adjustment season. Uh, Eric, what's your record for the Rams? So, this is a, a a formula for disaster or at least mediocrity when you have roughly the same group of guys and you're like, ah, oh, they just need to improve on last year, uh, which is gonna put them in the six to ten range. Six and ten. Yep. Uh, I I um I think the Rams get back to home. You know, they get right back to what feels comfortable to them, a little seven and nine <laughs> bullshit. Uh, Eric, Eric, Kevin, what do you got? You no. know, we talked about how Russ was uh, the reason why you can just pencil us in for nine and seven. You know what they don't have? They don't have Russ. Yeah, so I have them as well with some of that seven and nine bullshit. All right, we head to the 49ers. They were 13 and three last year. They added Trent Williams, Travis Benjamin, and Kerry Hyder. They lost to Forrest Buckner, Emmanuel Sanders, Sheldon Day, and Joe Staley. They drafted Brandon Ayuk. Javon Kinlaw Seahawks connection. They of course are the landing spot of Seahawks corner dumpster fire, Jamar Taylor. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about the 49ers. Ke- uh, yep. Kevin. Yeah. Kevin got there. 
Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember things that happened 10 minutes ago. That's how good no I am. No problem, man. We're good. Uh, so a big issue that I have is they lost one of the best defensive tackles in the league and replaced him with a rookie and Javon Kinlaw is not going to have a lot of time to figure things out. So I think there's a good chance there's at least a small step back on the D-line. What makes that more worrying is when like Quan Alexander was garbage, who was their big pickup. Fred Warner took a step forward. But I think there's reasons to question their linebacking core. And overall, their defense had some of the best health luck in the NFL last season. If there's any regression in that team's health luck, which is running out some players like Jimmy Ward with a injury history that's worrying, uh, Richard Sherman, who is not getting any younger, and then they're relying on like Solomon Thomas to have his best season, there's reasons to wonder if the defense, if the defensive plan is sustainable or not. And there's some numbers when D Ford was out last year that tell you the defense could take a step back if they didn't have a really sustained pass rush. So I'm not sure that 310 points scored last season, especially what gets what's going to be a division winner schedule is going to be something that's remotely sustainable on offense. They lost Emmanuel Sanders and replaced him with Brandon Ayuk. And I, think there's a lot of reason to believe Brandon Ayuk can't step into nearly the same kind of role, but Kyle Shannon is going to find a way to squeeze some points out. So their offense is going to be, is going to be able to score points, even if there's a general step back in the talent level that we're looking at. Um, their defense, I think, though, is bound to regress a little bit. So we're looking at a unit that overall is going to be a little worse than last season and I, and playing a tougher schedule. Yeah. Um, I think that this team is good. I know that's not like a like a real feisty hot take or anything, but uh, this is a good football team that that brought back. Basically, they just decided to run it back this year. It's functionally the same team with you know you're going from DeForest Buckner, who's rock solid, to Javon Kinlaw, who has the talent to be that good, but might need a year or two to get to that level. Um, and then you're replacing Emmanuel Sanders with Brian Ayuk, Brandon Ayuk. Same story. He could be as good as Emmanuel Sanders, but he's not. Maybe needs a couple years to that level. You replace Joe Staley with Trent Williams. They basically are saying like, "Hey, we were really good last year. Let's just run it back and try to win again." Which is a, honestly a fine strategy when you're in this position. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't disagree with that at all. Their defense is good. Will be good. Their offense will be good. I just think that there's a little regression due for um, just they were a, a little bit lucky in my opinion last year to uh, to to win 13 games it's a little bit more than i think their expected uh win loss was so so i just um yeah i just think there'll be a little regression there but that doesn't mean they're not good they are a good football team um this is the this is an incredibly dangerous team that i think this is actually worry about they exceeded my expectations last year and i'm uh, not going to underestimate them again uh, Eric, what do you think about the 49ers? 49ers still should be pretty good. couple things. We've already gone over to Forrest Buckner being gone. Uh, when a team loses to the Seahawks, I like hearing the other fans take because I don't uh, – looking back at like Super Bowl 40, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, home run Super Bowl for the Seahawks. Yeah, we got screwed by the refs, but also we had more than our opportunity to win that game. So I like listening to the fan takes. I want to see are your fans stupid? Are they all homers? And a big thing they said is, well, if we'd have had Emmanuel Sanders, we would have beat the Seahawks. If we'd have had him the whole game, we'd have beat the Seahawks. If, if, George, if George Kittle doesn't if, get dinged if George up. George yeah. Kittle doesn't get dinged up, which, you know, George Kittle's amazing. That's fine. But 
looking at what they've lost, mainly with Emmanuel Sanders, that passing game is dependent on quick slants and quick, uh, uh, basically, uh, sweeps over the middle for uh, all pro quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo to uh, dump his little passes off because he's pretty inaccurate. That's one. Two, there is a thing as a Super Bowl hangover. Richard Sherman will tell you all about it. And the 49ers may very well have that. If they don't, it's because they're oblivious. Um, Because of this, I like to say that this team is still going to be good. But they're certainly not going to get to 13 wins. And and that that is also has a chance to really uh, screw them out of winning the division. And j- just to back you up on that, Eric, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo ha- is intended air yards per pass is 6.5 per pass attempt, which is 31st out of 32 quarterbacks. So like he attempts just all these dink and dunk short passes and stuff, and they rely on their running game to really uh, kind of get those late, get those short passes open for them. Right. And they, yeah. they run these, uh, these zone reads and stuff. And eventually people are going to catch on to what Shanahan's doing and he's going to have to adjust. And that that's, that's when that we'll see how good they, they really are. Right. Um. Yeah. What, okay. Sorry, Kevin. Kevin, what do you got the record for the 49ers? I have the 49ers with 11 wins. I think they're going to be between 10 and 12 wins. I think they're, like we all said, they're a quality team. I just think that there's some schedule and injury luck that's going to catch up a little bit. I think they're going to be somewhere between 10 and 12 wins. Yeah, this is the, I'm at 10 wins as well. I mean, it's a tough schedule because I think that this division's really good. Even the Rams, who I ha, I think are the worst team, they're better than a lot. They're better than a lot of teams in the NFL right now, right? The If the Rams were in the uh, the NFC North, I'd probably pick them to win the division or, or at least compete for the division win. So it's not, it's a, it's, you know, it's, it's tough sledding in this division. I have the 49ers at 10 and six. Eric, what do you got? Uh, out of respect, uh, not pure hatred. I'm putting them at 11 and five, but I really want to pencil them in at that 10 win. I don't think they're getting it less than 10. I think it's kind of impossible, but uh, so I'll just go on 11. All right. The Seahawks went 11 and five last year. They added Quentin Dunbar, BJ Finney, Carlos Hyde, Philip Dorsett, Bruce Irvin, Greg Olson, Benson Mayo. They lost Javian Clowney, Quentin Jefferson, Ziggy Ansah, Jermaine Effetti, Josh Gordon, and Al Woods. They drafted Jordan Brooks, Darrell Taylor, and Damian Lewis. Seahawks connection. This is the Seahawks. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, Eric, start us off. What do you think about the Seahawks this year? Okay. Uh, it's ever changing, isn't it? Because we're making moves so late. So our draft was very interesting. Not getting Jadavian clowning was very interesting. Uh, COVID has been a bit of a game changer, to say the least. The biggest thing for us is Jamal Adams right now because Jamal Adams has made it. So losing clowny is almost a non-factor. It is a versatile player in in a position we haven't had that versatile player ever. I can do this. Uh, he's going to open up a lot of things for our team with our pass rush. I think that this is a possible division-winning move if if Quinton Dunbar actually plays for the Seahawks. God willing, he is exonerated of all these awful charges. Doesn't sound good. But if you put Quinton Dunbar back there with we should kill Griffin and uh, our safeties as they our plug and play Dig. safeties as we have uh, Diggs, Diggs, and Adam. Diggs is awesome, but Adams Blair Blair, Blair could people forget well about just, Mark. People sleeping on Marquise Blair, man. He's going to matter this year. I yep. hope, I hope so, but I don't really want to, pen, I, I will pencil we'll talk him about in. that next week. I do not want to pen him in because that's a hope right now, but imagine that secondary 
I'm not saying you don't need a pass rush, but that is something you can manufacture enough because our back seven, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Our back six, I'm so excited. So uh, we all know how great Russ is. We know how uh, awesome DK is going to be. This is what I'm circling. Our w- what our secondary is going to look like. I I think that the Seahawks looked at last year and they said, okay, what was the problems that we had last year, and when were we successful last year for the offense? They were successful when they were able to play up-tempo, which was really difficult with 100-year-old bad-knee guards like we had because it's just it's hard. You run those guys into the ground, and then they get hurt. And then So what do they do? They go out and they get a bunch of young, athletic guys to play along the offensive line. Cedric Ogbui, Damian Lewis, B.J. Finney. Uh, Phil Haynes is coming on. Phil Haynes is going to be awesome this year. I'm, gonna, I'm, on that, I'm on that corner early. Please uh, at me when he's amazing. Phil Haynes is going to be awesome this year. So then we we get these guys coming in, okay, and we get we get young and athletic like now we can play up tempo. And I think this offense is going to be an up tempo offense. They're going to play no huddle. They're gonna they're gonna rush guys to the line. They're gonna get bad defenses stuck on the field and create mismatches with DK and Greg Olson and Tyler Lockett. And they they're going to be all about that this year. On the defense, last year we ran into a lot of problems because we couldn't cover. Uh, we had problems with coverage, so we go and we trade for for Quandre Diggs and it, it fixes it somewhat, but it, we needed more. So we go get Jamal Adams. We go get Quentin Dunbar. We go get, we go, we go and we try to fix this thing where we really only had like, it was Shaquille Griffin versus the world back there last year. I love you, Brad, but he's just a very average defensive back. He's not, he's, he's good, but not great. So we needed some greatness back there. Now we have it. I think Jordan Brooks is going to be athletic in that, in that back end as well. That's a big help. These guys are going to come out, they're going to cover, and they're going to give time for these sub pass rushers, which I will openly admit are subpar. Okay. We, we, it would be very nice. It would make me feel very confident in our ability to win this division if we went and signed just two above average rotation defensive linemen. If we go get Everson Griffin and we go get uh, Mike Daniels, all of a sudden I'm like, this is a championship defense. This is a to go with the championship offense. Okay. Right now I'm like, this is a, this is close. I, and I just need to see it. And I'm going to, and you know, we need to get something out of Darrell Taylor, Rasheem Green, or LJ Collier, like something significant out of the, one of those three guys to be the championship defense that we all want it to be. So right now I'm like, I'm like, okay, it's, it's, it's good, but it's a good defense, not a great defense, probably like somewhere between the, you know, 12th and 20th best defense in the league. It's an awesome offense. I think this will be an up-tempo great offense. I'm really excited about watching this offense play. And I'm excited about the Seahawks. I think I'm I'm positive on our potential right now. Like I said, the thing that could push us over the top, a couple just salt, rock-solid rotational defensive linemen. Uh, even if it was just two DTs, if we went and got Snacks Harrison and Mike Daniels, I'd be like, oh, yeah, we're, 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 we're cashing it now. We're ready. But uh, that's that's kind of the last hole they need to plug. All right, Kevin, what do you think about the Seahawks? Uh, I think the Seahawks made a ton of moves this offseason, which is always really interesting. Uh, your point about the offensive line and getting more athletic is something that I would like to dive deeper into as we examine our team's roster. But I think that is a big move and people are kind of overlooking it. If you look, there's a general trend in what's happening with our offense that is positive and it gives a lot of reasons to believe. So I'm just going to say... I don't think our offense is falling out of what it was and what it was, was a top five or six offense. So let's go ahead and kind of write that in for next year. 
So taking a look at the defense, you addressed a lot of it. A way that I like to look at it for safeties, um, the Legion of Bloom had an otherworldly free safety and a extremely good box safety. I feel like our current setup is kind of reverse those two things. I think Quandre Diggs is a Cam Chancellor level talent with a different skill set. He does a lot of things very, very well. Um, you know, uh, future like Ring of Honor level player. I think Jamal Adams is that future Hall of Famer type player. And so when you put that infusion of talent into the back end, because you only got Quandary Diggs for like, I think six games last year, was it? Mm-hmm. It was not a significant number of games. And in the time that he was in our lineup, we were a top 12 defense. So when you look at somebody in Diggs that could play nickel or free or box, we have Blair who can play I'll, free. I'll be honest though, Quandre Diggs. As I dig into it, I would like him to play less nickel if possible, um, because that has, even though his career started in that role, playing mostly nickel corner, he really blossomed as a free safety and became like the best version of himself. So I would be disappointed a little bit if we like, even though I want to get Blair on the field more, <laughs> if we used him as a nickel corner because I don't, I think it's a. It's turning a $20 bill into a $10 bill. How about that? Where I think it's like keeping it as a $20 bill or putting like a two $20 bills to make a $50 bill is where Jamal Adams can also play all three of those roles. So what can happen is you have whatever look that you have before the snap, but then we have three defensive backs who have, you know, 12 combinations of mm-hmm. what they could play on the back end between Diggs, Adams, and Blair, and they could play them all well enough. So yeah. I think that's what makes it very interesting. As as a fan of the Big Nickel, Kevin, you're really speaking my language. I know. That's <laughs> we're all over it. We're the Big Nickel pod. The Big Nickel is my love language. That's it. Hoping to see it more. Hoping to see it more. You can expose me to all the Big Nickel you want. So when we're thinking about that, uh, we have a bunch of consistent pass rushers. We have a full season of Jaron Reed. I think that you said exactly what I think, which is add a couple of like rotation pieces, add like a Corey Lugit and a Timmy Jernigan, um, a Jabal Sheard, uh, a Pernell McPhee, like add a couple of guys that are just like a little above replacement level. Um, so that way, at least the dudes that are on our roster have to beat those guys out of camp and all feel pretty good about what our pass rush can be with our coverage unit being better and more yeah. versatile. Yeah, that's the thing is like it's it's just like get put these guys in positions to succeed, right? Yeah, you don't want to rely on a guy like Daryl Taylor, even if I like him a lot. You don't want to rely on a rookie pass rusher getting more than three or four sacks. Like that's just not something that happens a lot in the NFL. Right. And I mean, I love these LJ Collier motivated by the doubters tweets. So I'm going to (laughs) keep I'm going to keep doubting him. I'm actually going to try to encourage him by saying like, like he didn't do anything last year, so how could he possibly be good? And then hopefully he hears that and he's like, you know what? I hate that pot that Seahawks podcast. You know what? I'm gonna I'm coming for those guys. And then I'm like, yeah, come for us. Yeah, but I'm not gonna block him. Prove us, prove us wrong. Because Luke Wilson's the only one who can block us. Uh, Luke I like and, and wait, wait, and uh, what was that? Justin Britt. I just. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I'd like LJ Collar to fill, fit in as a. Uh, as a decent rotation guy, that's my that's my sincere um, prediction. Only because 
the coaches are saying all the right things. There are bad players on this team or players that we really like that aren't going to get any love that the coaches don't talk about at all. So I think LJ Collier, something is in in the making there. Uh, what it is, not quite sure. You know what my sincere prediction is? 11 and 5. I picked us for 10 and 6, tied with the 49ers, but winning on the head-to-head tiebreaker with two victories same. over the hated over the hated 49ers. This I have the exact uh, same thing, only with 11 wins for both. Yeah, uh, I have the Eric, same thing, Nathan. 10 and 6 and uh, winning via via head-to-head. Yeah. So, all right, let's, uh, let's get into it now. We, we, I wanted to do this. Uh, we, so we all have kind of our playoffs set now. Cause we all use this. We all use this thing. It's playoffpredictors.com. You can go on, you pick every game. It's really fun. You can kind of see where every team shakes out based on what you think. Um, so I wanted to say just a couple teams that you want to get on their corner. You want to be like, Hey, I'm, I'm think this team is going to outperform expectations. I think, or I think this team is going to be even, I just think this team's going to be really good. This is my Super Bowl contenders is another way to go about it. So I uh, will just do one each, maybe two each. If we have time, uh, Eric, start us off. What's your team? Like, okay. Uh, we'll start in the NFC and I don't want to pick the Seahawks. It's a Homer podcast, the new Orleans saints. It is not a, it, it, it's a medium take. This team is very good. This team is obviously playing for right now. I, I like the way you put that. Like this isn't a hot take, but this team is really good. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's not it's nothing unbelievable. But at the same time, there will be some regression from Drew Brees, maybe some injury chances. Uh, there's there's a lot of talent on this team, and there's there's no way that they're not going to be competing for the NFC Championship at the end of the year. And they. Oh, complete, I completely agree, man. That's a great NFC pick. I'll, we'll go back to AFC in a sec. Kevin, what's okay. your NFC pick? Okay, so I went a little bit of a different route. Um, mm-hmm. The corner I'm going to get on is two NFC West teams will fight it out for a spot in the Super Bowl. Ooh, it will nice. be an all NFC West NFC championship game. Love it. I like that. That's a, that's a nice corner. I really think the Cowboys are are good. Like really good, and I, I mean, there's so many like Dak Prescott doubters out there, and they're so annoying. And even if he succeeds this year, they're still gonna be like, "Well, look at all the talent on the offense." And I'm just gonna be like, "Shut up." So, so uh, <laughs> I'm already seeing the future. So I think this team's this team is a uh, is underratedly uh, good. Obviously, stepping out for Byron Jones is going to make their cornerbacks worse, but I just think that this offense is is, is dynamic and going from Mike McCarthy as your head coach for, from Jason Garrett, even though I think Mike McCarthy sucks, they're going to be better. They're just going to be better than they were last year. So uh, I like Dallas quite a bit, and that division sucks. Washington and New York are punching bags, so like they get they get a couple um, you know, easy games from those teams. Uh, they'll, they'll lose one inexplicably that they shouldn't because that's what the Cowboys do, but it's not going to be enough. Uh, don't underestimate the football teams. All right. <laughs> the Washington, fo- <laughs> the Washington football teams. Uh, 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 I like how we should get royalties for that. Cause we've been calling them Washington football team or Washington racism for, for so long, like three or oh, two or three years. There'd be significant divvy outs on that. That's the problem. Um, yeah. So, all right, uh, Eric, AFC team, who do you like? Snyder will pay us in racial slurs. Um, <laughs> my AFC team, I got two for you in a very. Oh, no, you're... Hold on, in a you're going to steal ours. I'm, I know <laughs> I'm going to steal one of yours. Is uh, it the Den- Pittsburgh Steelers? Absolutely not. Uh, Den- <laughs> Denver Broncos. Uh, no. I think this. I knew. Oh, we're I'm... we're all kind of this team. Uh, I'm this... De- what I'm Denver Broncos super fan number one, Eric. I don't know that. Uh, this kidding. team is very Nathan's much. Nathan's last name is Elway. 
<laughs> he had it legally changed in the off season. That's not true because Nathan makes really good decisions and didn't, just didn't happen to an amazing season. Uh, this is going to come down to Drew Locke. I really believe it. And like the Saints, this team is just jacked with talent. And it will, uh, the health of the NFC quarterback, the experience and growth of the AFC quarterback. Those are my themes. In a little pocket of uh, keep your eye on this team, the Cincinnati Bengals, never changing their helmets. And I believe this team will uh, will be fun to watch. All right. I'm with you on the Broncos all the way, Eric. I'm like so in. I have so much Broncos stock in terms of uh, I actually don't I don't usually make uh, futures bets. And I put some money into their wins line because I'm like, this is this team is is talented. And uh, I just wanted to be on that corner. So I'm with you on that. Kevin, what's your AFC team? Uh, my AFC take is that the Ravens will be the Super Bowl team coming out of the AFC. Oh, Lamar Jackson gets that monkey off his back and gets that that vaunted playoff win and more. Yeah, I think the thing is that they have a the improvements they made to their defense puts them in a situation where they have a Super Bowl defense. How do they get Calais Campbell? That is just by tearing out my heart. That's how they did it. Calais Calais Campbell on this team. How come I want a Calais Campbell? That's who Dude, I and want. And then adding Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison in the draft at linebacker to sure up what yeah. was a weakened linebacker core is nuts. Yeah, and you know, like Earl Thomas is going to have Patrick Queen in line, like right away playing good from the first day. Like that, that's an insane. And then they get J.K. Dobbins to like round out that running back room and make it just. Yeah, they they have incredible talent on their team. I'm with you. I have, I have Baltimore as the number one seed. The only thing that scares me is Lamar Jackson still doesn't want a playoff game. But you know, if he can get past that curse, uh, you're right. It's um, it's yeah. I, the sky's I like the to throw those things out because it's one of those like yeah, and uh, you know, Andy Reid couldn't win the big one until he won the big one. You right. Know? I, I mean, I'm just being a little superstitious. He's a young quarterback too, and I just I'm I'm like expecting maybe a little regression this year for Lamar specifically, which may let other oh, wow. people catch up. One thing I like about the, that the Baltimore Ravens team though is that like they lose a guy and then the next guy coming in, like Orlando Brown, is really good. Like they they're just ready to make to put the next guy up. They always seem to draft so well and just have guys ready to just to just jump in and and be the next guy. And like their offensive line still looks like it's going to be really good. And they sneakily bring in like Ben Bredesen and Tyree Phillips to like be the next generation of guys who step in when guys get big contracts elsewhere. It's like yep, they're so smart. They're because so, like. Tyree Phillips and Ben Bredesen are good examples. Bredesen's like a smart player that is going to need time to adjust to the athleticism of the NFL. Tyree Phillips is a raw athlete who's going to need time to like adjust to the um, the techniques in the NFL. Put those guys together in, in on the back end of your offensive line room, and next year you're going to be you're going to be. Well, fine then they with. picked up Fluker, and so if Fluker has to start this year. The big thing is between Ben Powers, Ben Bredesen, and Tyree Phillips over the last two drafts. There's no way you won't get at least one good player out of that, if not right. two. Yeah. Like, that's just smart uh, drafting. All right. Since you guys took my two favorite teams, basically, I have the, my one seed and my two seed, the Ravens and the and the Broncos, because I have the Broncos edging the Chiefs. Yeah, that's right. I'm, uh, I'm on that corner. All right. Wow. I might have also bet on uh, Broncos to win the AFC West. Okay. So <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, the, my last playoff team, my seventh seed at eight and eight, sneaking in on a bunch of tiebreakers. Wow. What? Is he going to switch it to another team? <laughs> um, I actually think that John Gruden is not the best coach, but him and he, he has built a really good roster 
by basically just drafting guys who played in the national championship game. But fine, if that <laughs> that's a that's an uh, that's a strategy because it's working. This roster is starting hey man, to get win. this roster is starting to look really good, and it's lots of guys who it's a good mix of guys who are established players and guys with tons of potential. I love Josh Jacobs. He was uh, a, like a revelation for them last year, even though he kind of tailed off at the end as the season went went on, but he was great at the beginning of the year. And I think their defense is, is super decent. It's not, it's not great, but it's like good enough. And I mean, I'm picking an eight and eight team. I'm not like getting on the corner, but I think people are kind of sleeping on Las Vegas a little bit. They're, they're thinking they won't be, they won't be anything. And I think Amik Robertson, like this is a good example. They bring in LaMarcus Joyner and Amik Robinson, Robertson. I think Amik Robertson is going to be the starting nickel corner. I think he'll beat LaMarcus Joyner to that job, which is impressive because LaMarcus Joyner doesn't suck. But that's they're going to have a good nickel cornerback. Like they they do like these little things like where they have multiple guys who can play the same position so that they don't just strike out. They go get Prince and Makamura so that if Damon Arnett's not good, which a lot of people think he's not, but I, I don't know. I'm not. Once the guy's drafted, I'm always like, okay, let's wait and see now. My analysis said Damon Arnett is a second-round pick, but maybe he's better than I think. But they're not going to strike out there because Amakamura is going to provide replacement talent. They did that a bunch of – every roster spot's like that. A guy with potential and a guy that's just solidly – Carl Nassib is backing up Max Crosby and Arden Key, so they'll have some pass rushing. You know, it's like they just – Their they're linebackers smart. are so much better. They're just, and also, they cor- were 7-9 last season. People act like they were like – Two and fourteen. Corey Littleton. No one wanted to believe it. Really good. Corey Littleton's really good. And it was kind of a fluky seven and nine. That's why they they should have been a little bit worse. They didn't suck. No, they did not suck. And John Gruden is he's proven that he's a decent coach because he took ten years off, came in and didn't suck. That that's it sounds like a joke, but that's a real stat. Like that's amazing. Another thing too is Derek Carr. Like people love to dump on him. He was really good and really, especially his efficiency numbers are really good last year. But if he doesn't pan out, they have a former number two overall draft pick who is still not, he's 26 years old. They can go to Mariota the same way that the Titans went to Tannehill last year and say, okay, let's ride that. Let's ride a talent. Let's, let's see if we can get something out of this talent. If they get off to a shaky start at quarterback. I love it. I love everything they did. Like I said, well, and they have Nathan Peterman behind that. Oh God. Peterman. Peterman. My, one of my favorite things is how much John Gruden loves Nathan Peterman from those, uh, from the, um, what was that show? Uh, Hard Knocks or whatever. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's like, uh, why does he like Nathan Peterman so much? We've seen this guy play an actual NFL game. <laughs> maybe he's like a practice like god though he's like so good to have around for the practice squad and stuff but he's, just his clipboard holding technique is unparalleled or like he sees the game really well so like in the quarterback room you want him so that he can come in and like read the tape with your quarterbacks right but like once he's in the game you're screwed <laughs> <laughs> yeah he like he just like he just uh hears footsteps like from the snap He's like, he's, he's not good once he's in the actual game, but if you can just kind of have him around your quarterbacks, like maybe Nathan Peterman is a future quarterbacks coach. You know what I mean? Like I can he's, see that. he's like a future guy who's going to be in a quarterback, co- bring quarterbacks along, but he just doesn't have the physical tools or whatever to, or mental mentality. Like uh, Sean, what's his name? Linebackers coach for us. And I freaking love if their wide receivers too. Hey, everyone who dumps on Nelson Aguilar, he's not that bad. He's like the number five wide receiver too. All right, I'm done talking about. I'm done talking about the home of Jordan Roos, the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Good connection. Let's go. Now. Let's go. Yeah, it's good. I had to bring it back to the Seahawks. Uh, let's go to the the uh, money zone. There are many ways to help the Seahawks Nest podcast. The best way to do so: head over to Patreon.com/slash/SeahawksNest, and for as little as a dollar twenty-four a month, get in the Patreon. Patreon is the pin post at the top when you join. So go to 
from the post and click that. If you're having trouble with it, just shoot me a message. I'll send you a personalized link. Uh, thanks to the new Patreon, Emmanuel. Uh, joining the joining the crew. Uh, so all all of our Patreons, uh, the, the people who help us out: Brett, James, Carrie, Lucas, Ryan, Timothy, Tom, Tony, Emmanuel, uh, Bob, Flocktimus, Keith, Jay, Kieran, Michelle, Mike, Richard. Thank you guys for helping out the Seahawks Nest podcast, keeping us going, getting us our new equipment, and now let's have a lot of fun. Uh, also, if you don't have any money, go on iTunes, go on Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, go on whatever you listen to podcasts on. I, it's now on YouTube and Facebook, you know. So if you whatever you listen to it on, give it a thumbs up, give it a like, give it a plus one. I, there's someone who likes it on SoundCloud every week, and uh, I just want to give you a shout out. Um, let me go to SoundCloud. Feel really. good in our hearts. Appreciate <laughs> let go, that. Let me go to SoundCloud right now and look. The name is. Uh, S O I don't know how to, man, I'm going to mess this name up. Soham, Soham. I don't know, but you like the every week on SoundCloud. You're my favorite person now. So good job. You, you defeated my wife. Uh, so, so, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's it. Um, I just wanted to, before we do movie club, can I get on a, a corner really quick and just say something? Do it. I'm playing fantasy baseball and it is so weird. That's it. <laughs> that's it. I don't really know what else to say about it. It's, it's like every day is so difficult and like every day, like another one of my guys gets like his, his games postponed or like something weird happens. And, and then it's like, do I cut a guy who's actually really good to just pick up like a random dude who actually is playing games? Because like, that's where I'm at. Right. Like it's, there's guys who are just not playing for whole weeks and stuff. And I don't, one thing that's I'm making me think is like if NFL does not have a good plan for this, Oh boy. This this because this baseball thing is a disaster, straight up. There's no like if ands or buts about it. This baseball thing is a disaster, and if it's if this is what happens in in uh, football, oh man, people are not going to be uh, people are not going to be too excited about that to say the least. So that's um that's kind of all I want to say about that. Do you guys have you guys been paying attention to baseball at all? I was telling Kevin before the podcast that I've watched. I haven't watched a whole lot of baseball. I've watched a few games, but I find it not all that different than pre-COVID. Now, I can't go to the games, but watching it on TV, not all that different. They're, uh, the the stands are you know sparsely filled with cardboard cutouts. The only real difference is the, there's no idiot behind home plate waving at the camera. And I... <laughs> and yelling, I love it. I love it. I'll take that. I'll take that all the time. I watched half of two baseball games because I'm a Mariners fan and they don't give me a reason to watch more than that. Mm-hmm. And then I've watched a lot of hockey. Yeah. As I say, I've been really hitting the basketball and hockey a lot harder than the, than the base, than the baseball uh, personally, but the I baseball, don't think baseball is going to make it to the end of the shortened season. They're not going to get through 60 worry. games. Yeah. They're, it's just not, they, they whole teams are getting like the Cardinals. Every player on the Cardinals has it now. And it's like, I have a Cardinals pitcher that's supposed to start tomorrow and it's like, that's not happening. So now what do I do? <laughs> you know, it's just weird. It's just weird. Like I said, it's like the whole thing is, is wild and I'm paying attention to it a little more than I would because of this fantasy league I'm in. Um, but anyway, whatever, let's get, let's get to the, the, uh, the movie zone. Um, I wanted to pick the movie that I felt like was the um, most nineties action movie of all time. You like that? Well, that's fitting. Interesting. Yeah. I think it's the most. I think this is peak, peak nineties. Uh, Jean de Bont directed, Keanu Reeves acted, uh, Graham Yost written. It's Speed. Um, so people people couldn't guess on the uh, Jean de Bont 
hint you dropped. Um, well, I mean, he also directed Twister. And, uh, <laughs> Did he really? <laughs> yeah. And The Haunting and oh. uh, the really bad Lara Croft Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life. Yikes. I mean, to be honest with you, he's he uh, has better credits as a cinematographer than as a, a director. Although he did produce SLC Punk, Equilibrium, and Minority Report, which are all like huh. solid. So I mean, he's got an eye for for something, right? Oh, Speed Two also terrible. So yeah, um, you know this is supposed to be a McTee movie. Uh, a what? Uh, John McTiernan. Uh, oh, John Mc John McTiernan. Yeah, that it makes was sense. supposed to be a McTee movie, and he turned it down, saying uh, thought- somebody new should get it. And so uh, John DeBont, who was a cinematographer for Die Hard. Die Hard, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, see, I thought you said Big T, and I was like, who's Big T? That's, that's even cooler. I thought, then I, then I was thinking, was that, is that like Mick G? And I was like, Mick G sucks, though. No. <laughs> so, so, all right. Sorry, um, I call Mick, I call Mick Tiernan Mick T because of Mick G. Okay. It's, it's always struck me as funny, but then I realized so, no one else does that. So I'm going to be honest. Me and Kevin were like eight when this movie came out. So... I saw it like after the fact, but Eric, you're a little, you're the elder statesman of the podcast. Yeah, was you, like, were, you were, you were there. This was probably like you were a teenager when this movie came out or something, yeah, right? I think I was 16. Um, yeah. I did see it in theaters. Uh, I've always had a knack for being like, man, this looks dumb, but I'm going to go see it. And, <laughs> and this I think was, you know, I wasn't quite the uh, cynic that I am now. I was more like, this seems very unbelievable, but I sure do like Keanu Reeves. Um, it was, you know, it was cool. It's just like, just why we're doing it. Very entertaining movie. And, and that's what we expected. And that's what we got. So basically like the screenwriter of this movie, Graham Yost, he was, he was told by uh, his dad about this movie, Runaway Train by John Voight, which everyone should watch. Um, but I'm just going to leave it at that, that it's a, it's a Kurosawa concept movie that, that um, got turned into a feature length film. And he thought that that movie was about, there was a bomb on the train which is actually like a old Sonny Chiba movie called The Bullet Train. So he kind of like <laughs> combined these two ideas in his head, the Sonny Chiba movie and this runaway train movie with John Voight into like one thing, this bus with a bomb on it. And what I love about it is that this movie is so high concept, right? Like this is a high concept. Like there's a bus and it's got a bomb and you have to stay over 50. It's like there's the, but like once the movie's going, it's so streamlined, right? There's a bus with a bomb. You have to go over 50 miles an hour. That's the whole movie. They don't like convolute it by adding a layer upon layer. And Dennis Hopper is just chewing up every bit of this movie as the villain. He's like, so good. Holy <laughs> smokes. Dennis Hopper. Man, I've not seen him be this good since he played Bowser. Like, it, <laughs> I'm just hey, you're underselling his so performance insulting. in uh, Waterworld. Sorry, I had I had to do that. But but Dennis Hopper is really good in this movie, and Sandra Bullock is, was like at this point, this is like peak. Like Sandra Bullock is Miss America, Girl Next Door. Like she's everyone just loves Sandy Bullock, you know. And it's like this is really good, and I love Jeff Daniels as like the detective trying to trying to uh, hunt him down. And Jeff Daniels, also his name's on. Harry Temple. <laughs> it is so so the, I, I mean this is just an it's an awesome movie uh like i i mean there's so much cool stuff going on and the counter reese is not he's not like he's not ready to be the action star that we see him today with the matrix and john wick you know he's he's a huge action star now and he's awesome at it but back then he was not quite there but he's good enough he's more than serviceable as you know the main guy trying to to get these people off the off the bus before the bomb detonates and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just like I said, it's just a high concept. They just set it up and they just go. 
and it, and, I, and I love it. It's it's so great. Uh, Ken, what do you think about speed? Uh, so one thing that I find funny is this is Sandra Bullock's performance coming off of Demolition Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the thing that got uh, Keanu Reeves the part in Speed was his performance in Point Break. And mm-hmm. so when you put those three movies together, that was 90s action. And 90s action was a big part of my childhood because you talked about seeing this later. I saw this as soon as it hit VHS because my parents didn't go to the theater, but they loved to like rent stuff as soon as it came out. So I saw every mediocre to better than mediocre to much worse than mediocre 90s action flick on VHS as soon as it hit VHS. And I remember finding this movie very fun and I thought I'd go back and watch it again and it would just be disappointing. But every time I watch it, I'm always reminded of this movie does an excellent job of being two hours of mostly on a bus and holding its tension so well the whole time. It doesn't seem like it's going to, but it really just holds a lot of tension and a lot of interest for a long run of what could have been a really repetitive movie. And one thing I like about is is that like Keanu Reeves character is so earnest in this movie. Like a lot of um, movies like this, the action star has to be like some cocky jerk that like makes fun of everything that's going or an on. Antihero, super tough macho, right? And and Keanu Reeves is not that man. He's just like a guy who is in this situation, and he he outsmarts the villain at the beginning of the movie, but then he's in this bad situation still, and it's like uh, he's just like. He's got like this, um, like just earnestness to him that's so refreshing for like, especially in the '90s, where, like I said, every action hero had to be so macho and cool and like kind of a bad, super yoked. Yeah, Keanu is a believable human being in this movie. Um, Joss Whedon, cool fact: Joss Whedon wrote most of the dialogue for this movie, so like him and Yost work kind of side by side, and Yost basically. Um, what like wrote the story and everything. And then he's like, and I had most of everything ready, but I had Joss Whedon come in and like rework the script with me because he's just so good at writing dialogue. And I think that's the perfect use of Joss Whedon because he's kind of a, a, a knucklehead, but he writes pretty good fun dialogue. Um, yeah. He writes pithy dialogue. Yeah. So man, and I'm, I'm just still thinking about Dennis, how cool Dennis Hopper is. Dennis this Hopper movie. is so good. And the, the big thing is his character is not stupid evil. It like his character has a very clear motivation and so the game of cat and mouse between him as like basically uh, like Timothy McVeigh slash Unabomber guy um, against like the very earnest tryhard of Keanu Reeves's character is just a very different type of cat and mouse than what you had with, uh, you know, Die Hard or a lot of the other movies at the time. Again, the tweaks on personality made it so that it was kind of that formula movie that we got in that time, but it just executed it with these turns of the dial that gave it its own feel that was unique and good. Yeah. Uh, um, Jeff Daniels in this movie is kind of the glue. He holds this movie together. He makes it, he makes the characters believable in the world. And Jeff Daniels is kind of like that. Uh, he's a straight man in every movie he plays or um, certainly in this situation. And it was, uh, when his character dies, spoiler, um, it it was like a, an emotional scene in the movie because you're like, oh, no, I like that guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the other thing is the stunt work in this movie is top notch. Like you, there's you some wanna, great stunt work. You want a fun stunt fact about this? Yeah. So um, Keanu Reeves was 
this this movie was filming while River when River Phoenix died, so he was like, you know, very philosophical thinking about his own life. And at first, he was like really nervous about doing the action scenes, but being Keanu Reeves, he like starts getting really into it. and He wants to do them. So there's that scene where he jumps from the Jaguar onto the bus, right? Mm-hmm. And he wanted to do it himself, and then and the director's like nah dog you're not doing that that's too dangerous and like it's just not worth it let's let a professional stuntman do it counter reeves practiced it in secret and on the day of the, on the day of the shoot was like i'm doing this stunt got in the car and like just did it and debont was like what is happening right <laughs> wow that's uh, awesome so so he really did it he did the stunt counter reeves did himself the stunt himself which is like one of my favorite like production notes for a, a movie it's so cool the only um, I thought you were going to say the stunt Easter egg of like when the they had to move the passengers on the bus to the uh, with the emergency vehicle um, mm-hmm. that that actually th- those weren't stunt people. They just those are the real actors. I knew that for a long time because I was like, whoa, something really bad could have happened. Yeah. Uh, they... And I thought you could talk about the bus jump because there's a billion really cool things about the bus jump. Everything from like them using a freeway that hadn't been opened yet. And that's why they got to do so much with it to like uh you know, the fact that they actually jumped a specially modified bus that kind of a distance and they actually screwed up the shot a little bit because the bus jumped better than they anticipated. <laughs> yeah, they it, and they like fact. They, they made like a little ramp for him to go off of. But yeah, they really jumped a bus 50 feet, but they made a special harness for the guy driving the bus that would hold him suspended in the air so that when he hit the ground, he wouldn't like uh, impact his spine. Yeah, and cool. they had to move the seat back 15 feet from where it normally would be because they were worried about him getting ejected from the bus if something happened. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mythbusters, I don't know if you know this, but buses aren't meant to jump. The Mythbusters <laughs> episode about this says that they don't think it was actually possible. They think that it was done with computer generated. But uh, you know what? I'm not I'm not buying it. I'm, I, I choose to believe. Screw you, myth, but screw you, Mythbusters. Um Okay, here's some uh, more fun facts. Did you know that originally they went through a lot of actors that they wanted to be the Keanu Reeves role? Their first choice was Stephen Baldwin. Turned it down. <laughs> what a mistake. What a then, mistake. Then they also considered asking Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Wesley Snipes, and Woody Harrelson. But ended up going with Keanu Reeves because they liked Point Break, as Kevin said. For well, And apparently for, it was written with Jeff Bridges in mind. Yeah, that's that's weird. I don't like weird. That. Uh, Sandra Bullock, that character, Annie, was originally supposed to be Halle Berry. Oh, man, but, what could but, have been? But she turned it down. Then they tried. Then they made her like a jokey comic relief character and they were going to cast Ellen as the part. But then the <laughs> studio told them that that character should be a love interest. So they went back to Sandy Bullock. So they <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Which actually, Ellen DeGeneres denies that she was considered for it, despite like a bunch of people who were involved saying that she was considered for it, which seems pretty on point. That was before yeah. she was out, too. So uh, that, that's just the studio not wanting to see her as a loving. And that first scene on the elevator and the last scene in the subway, those scenes were added at afterwards because the studio wanted it to, to extend it off of just the bus. So they were like, you, before we start filming, you got to add something that's not on the bus. Um, they were freaked out by Keanu's short hair when they when he showed up because he had buzzed his hair while he was working out, and they did not know he would he did that. <laughs> Do you like that one? <laughs> um, I just I, one. I think that's a that's a pretty funny uh, fun fact. So Nicholson so, and De Niro were considered for uh, uh, Hopper's role. 
Yeah, I did not know that. I didn't ever find There's that. There's no way they would have done that. Nicholson. I think Hopper was like perfect. Uh, yeah. The um, the that watch that that uh, Keanu wears in the movie pe- became known as the Speed Model and was one of uh, Casio's best sellers. How do you like that? Yeah, I bet because it's the uh, thing. The way that the bus tilts up on. I'm looking at a video of the jump right now. The way that the bus tilts up on that jump is just comical. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm with I'm with MythBusters. Maybe it didn't. Actually, uh... <laughs> the, the claim that they make is that it was uh, it was an adjustment where the other side was considerably further down, and with the shift in the way that the bus was made, because um, it was it wasn't jumping across, it was jumping over and down, so it was basically falling in a trajectory, and so uh, for that reason, because everything was shifted around, the back of the bus was a lot heavier than the front which is why you ended up with the bus going up because the back of the bus was dropping faster than the front. That's what they say. Yeah. Um, all right. So the, um, yeah, I like, I like conspiracy. I like Nathan, I like conspiracy. Nathan would have more fun with this. I feel like uh, we're losing conspiracy. Nathan. No, I'm just thinking <laughs> about, I'm thinking at the end when conspiracy when Den- Nathan is the Nathan we need <laughs> Dennis Hopper, Dennis Hopper at the end, like straps the bombs onto Sandra Bullock. And, uh, he's like, I'm smarter than you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what I just you, love that you said, I you know, Eric, you, you you were a teenager when it came out. When she shows up with the bombs, I was like, oh, she's in on it. Oh wait, no, she's not. Like, <laughs> remember remember the way Dennis Hopper gets his head chopped off by that light? Oh like yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then okay, that's wait, a good the, scene. The last thing too is yeah, I'm smarter than you, and then he just gets his head chopped off. Yep. Uh, the Speed Two. I'm just going to talk about that for a second. It's horrible. <laughs> uh, an all time bad movie. Uh, Jan DeBont wrote that one uh, in addition to directing it. And Sandra Bullock does not do sequels because of this movie because she was told that everyone was coming back and then they didn't. And, and she was the only and she, one who did. And she was the only one that came back and she felt betrayed. So I, and I think that's totally fair. Um, that's awful. It's, it's the, 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 the speed two script is just nonsense. That's the problem. It's like speed one. It just takes a high concept and goes with it. Speed two is just stupid. Um, so yep, there you go. I'm uh I'm all out of speed. I no longer feel the need. The do you guys uh do you guys have anything else? Or are we are we out of here? No, right, we're good. For, for Kevin Garber, for Eric Ronnebeck, we will see you guys next week. Go Hawks. <laughs>